You know, uh, growing up, for, for me, I was a comic book kid. Any other comic book you know, junkies out there growing up? Oh, awesome. I will be the first to confess to you that I was a Marvel kid. I was not a DC kid, and I always had a thing for the anti-heroes. So, you know, my favorite superheroes growing up, I was a Wolverine junkie. Um, I have all of those uh, comic books. I collected them from number one all the way through for a long time. And my all-time favorite anti-hero is Venom. I just absolutely, there's something about that character. Now, I will tell you, I've never seen any of those movies, mostly because uh, I love the paper character and I love the context that they created. And so a movie was going to ruin it for me. So I know there's a new Venom movie out. I will not see it. I just can't because I love the image that I have. But being this type of Marvel comic book geek, I never really engaged in the Avengers. I never really had any of that, those comic books and collected them. So when they started to come out with movies for all the Avengers and all that kind of stuff, I had no problem jumping in. And I love these movies. I, I absolutely love them. Any, any MCU folks here, they come out with a new movie and you're in. Did, okay, just real quick, anybody see The Eternals yet? Uh, that doesn't count. Okay, that counts, you win. Um, Jack, well done. Uh, so it, it's awesome, right? I, I love being able to go to the movies to see these things. And I'm telling you, when we started this SWAT series and I knew we were going through the armor of God, there was no way that we were going to get to the shield of faith and not somehow bring up Captain America and his shield. You know what I mean? There was no way. So for your benefit, I did a lot of research in, in this week with Captain America and movies. And, you know, it was for you. It was totally for you. But, um, you know... Captain America's shield is one of the most iconic images in the MCU. Everyone knows this shield, and this shield is uh, very unique. This is a picture of it because when I was like, oh, I should get one. They were like 150 bucks, and I was like, that's not worth it for a sermon illustration. Um, but it, it's this really unique shield that's made of, does anybody know what it's made of? Vibranium alloy, right? It's, it's this really unique metal, and it becomes this symbol that people either love or they hate. It's really what makes Captain America Captain America. He uses his shield for defense. He uses his shield for offense. He can disable the strongest enemies, and at the, at the same time, it becomes when he shows up and it, he does this thing. I, I wish I could look like that, just, you know. It's, it's, it's amazing. I feel very out of shape looking at this. You know, it's amazing that it becomes hope for people who are hopeless, right? If you haven't seen the movies, shame on you. But at the end of Avengers Endgame, something really beautiful happens. Captain America, who in his old age has his shield, and he passes it off to the Falcon. He passes it off to the Falcon, and, and the Falcon holds this shield and he has a wrestling match that you could see in this moment in this movie and the conversation that ensues between steve rogers captain america and who he thinks is the new captain america is just beautiful because cap asks him in this scene how do you feel like it's someone else's falcon says it isn't and there's this pause in this moment. And Falcon looks at Captain America and he says, thank you. I'll do my best. They shake hands. 
And that's when Captain America looks at him and says, that's why it's yours. I just love this moment, right? The passing of the baton, the passing of the shield, but Falcon never embraces it, does he? He never holds this shield and says, this is going to be mine. Instead, if you follow up with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series, you know what Falcon does. He wrestles with what he should do. So he does what he thinks is best, and he gives it to the government to put into a museum, and the government does what they think is best and not listen to him and give it away to someone else. You know, it's like they decide that they need someone to hold this shield. So they give it to someone who hasn't earned it, doesn't deserve it, and never really should have received it. And his name? Come on. John Walker. John Walker gets it, and John wields this shield like he owns it, right? It's very clear, though, it's never really his shield, is it? Instead of being used to defend and protect, it's actually used to deflect nothing but criticism, and it's used for murder. This is not what it was intended, and this shield almost becomes a character in the beginning of these movies through the end of them. Revealing something about each of these characters. To Steve, in the center, when he showed up with that shield, it was hope to the hopeless. In Falcon's hands, it became hidden. It, it was too much to step into, so he chose to give it away. And for John Walker, in his hands, it became a symbol of something he never earned, but he was forced to live up to. Now, I promise you this is important, okay? I need you to keep in mind the weight, the value, and the image of this shield as we begin to unpack what the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus in the, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, when he begins to talk about the armor of God. As we look at the shield of faith today, I want you to have Captain America's shield in your mind, okay? So my hope is that this image is burned into your memory today for the sole purpose that every time you watch an MCU movie with that shield in it, it's ruined for you for the gospel's sake. Amen? So let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul begins to write about this armor. And if it's in bold, would you just read it along with me? It says this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, is what Paul says next, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, we're not picking up Captain America's shield. I get it. But we are picking up a shield that God has given to us to be used against our enemy. And when Paul uses the word faith here and, and says the shield of faith, this is a Greek word, pistis, pistis. And this word, it's, believe it or not, it's used almost over 240 times in the entire New Testament. It is used all over the place. And this word that's being used doesn't necessarily point and relate to the beliefs that a person has it almost always points to the actions that they take because of their beliefs. Now think about it. Captain America's shield, this was actively used by him, wasn't it? It, it, was, it was a weapon that he used. And Paul's making a point to us today that I think to the church then and to us that if you want to win 
This battle against the enemy of your soul, this is not a place where you can just simply say, you know what, I have faith. And, and I believe the right things. I've learned it all. That's not faith. Faith, you have to do something with it. Last week we looked at uh, what Jesus' half-brother James said when it, came to guard, when it came to guarding our minds and how we can gain some godly wisdom in chapter 3. And his brother also had something to say about faith. If you go back to James chapter 2, in verse 19, James says this, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is a God. Good for you! I love this. James is great. He's like, listen, he's writing to a largely Jewish audience that's kind of all sorts of in disarray in Jerusalem. And as he writes to them, they are in this place where they're like, but we believe, we believe. And he's like, that's great that you believe. And when he points to this, there is one God. He's pointing back to uh, a core belief for the Jewish tradition called uh, a prayer called the Shema. Say that with me. Shema. See, there you go. You're learning. And the Shema is a prayer that's built around Deuteronomy 6, and there is one God. And, and James is great. He's like, oh, look, you believe there's one God, which was different than everyone else around them and set them apart for sure. He's like, that's so good. Good for you. And the word faith that he uses there, pistis, same word that Paul's using. And so he finishes verse 19 like this. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Oh, James is hitting pretty hard right here. It feels a little below the belt, doesn't it? To this nation, he's like, I'm so happy you believe there's one God. You believe these things. That's so good for you. You're no different than demons. They believe this as well. Your faith isn't just about belief. It has to be about action. Our faith needs some place to take action. Our faith, your faith, needs a job. You have to give your faith something to do. You've got to put actions behind the words that you say you believe because simple faith is not the shield for believers. Active faith is the shield for us. Paul says that it's, it's active faith. That's what's going to protect us against these flaming arrows, these fiery darts that the devil, the devil fights at us. Um, these are like little missiles of fire, if you will, that when the enemy shoots these things, they are meant to distract us. They are meant to uh, just take us away from the present place where we are and to keep us away from moving forward in the direction that God would have us to go. You, you can't hide behind this shield and think, oh, it'll be enough. I'll just sit here and not do anything. We are called to pick up the shield of faith. Pick up means it's time to move. It's time to go. It needs to be used. And just like our boots of peace, this is offensive and it is defensive. We need it for both. And, and here's maybe a little secret. Faith is not what you say you believe. Faith is not what you say you believe. Instead, faith is what you believe in action. Faith is what you believe in action. I, I know I, I can't really stand here and describe faith to you in a simple way, and I feel like uh, a working definition is probably better. And Priscilla Schreier, uh, I, we talked about her a couple weeks ago. She had a great definition for faith, and she simply says this. This is our working definition of faith. Faith is when you act like God 
is telling the truth. Faith is when you act like God is telling the truth. How awesome is that? Our willingness to act in harmony with God's word is what faith is. If we really believe that God is trustworthy like most Christians say they do, that we could trust God, that, that he's Jehovah Jireh, he's provider, he's this, he's that. Whether or not we choose to step out in faith at his commands, in his word, this really is the determining factor of whether or not we really believe that our God is faithful. This is the truest definition of faith. Whether or not you and I are actively taking steps forward in our journey to look like Jesus makes an enormous statement about what we really believe in God and what we believe God is capable of and willing to do on our behalf. Faith is not faith until you step out and take action. Let me say that again. Faith is not faith until you step out and you take action. Until we put into practice what we believe let me just tell you, it is all talk. And there's enough Christians who are all bark, no bite. And when we are that way, we lose an immense amount of credibility around us. Because even the people around us without faith in Jesus expect people of faith in Jesus to live out what they say they believe. Now, this shield, this is not a great representation of a Roman shield. Um, let me show you a good representation of a Roman shield. This is uh, a picture of what an actual Roman shield looks like. This is actually up in Yale right now. It's one of the only ones that exist. It's called a scuda. And this is amazing because it's what Paul would be referencing in this passage in Ephesians 6. He wrote this letter around 62 AD uh, from prison in Rome. And in the first century when he's writing this, this shield is one of the reasons that Rome became a military powerhouse to take over the world. They were a machine, and no army could match the muscle of Rome. They had the best maneuvers. They knew what they were doing, and at the center of it all was the shield. Each of these shields was about two feet wide, and they were about four feet high. They were made of planks of wood that were sealed together, and then the wood would be covered in canvas. This layer of canvas then wrapped again in leather. Right at the center would be this iron bar. Do you see that there, that iron cross? This was like the centerpiece to fortify the entire shield to hold it. And around the edges of that shield, you'll see it looks a little bit different. That is iron as well, so that if it was taken into battle against a sword, the moment you went to go stop it, it would hit that and not take out your, your shield. They were so large that an entire body could actually, when tucked correctly, be hidden behind it. It was perfect for defense. So when the Roman soldiers went to march into war against some city, some place that they wanted to take over, they would form a line together, and then they would hold their shields out, forming this impenetrable wall that you could not get past. This is not real Romans. These are probably people in Pennsylvania, um, <laughs> near Gettysburg, I think. Uh, this is what they do on the opposite weekends, right? right this, here's what's interesting. If you look at this, this tactic should be familiar to you and I, and the shields that they're using there with the steel in the front didn't come into play until about uh, the third century. Um, so uh, it was like 300 AD. So don't worry about that steel piece in the middle there. This is still being used today. You know this because we see it on the news all the time. When a riot breaks out and police step in, they have their SWAT shields, don't they? They have giant shields that they can move forward. This tactic 
started by the Romans, still used today all around us. Now, in the first century, the Romans would still have some problems, right? When they fought an enemy who could have, who had archers or slingers, which that's what David was, right? He could spin that, uh, that sling. They were uh, deadly with aim. What they would do is they would light the tips of their arrows on fire that could travel over the shields like they are now to hit the people behind. The goal was hit the ranks, set them on fire. So when they faced an enemy that did this, you, you ready for how cool this is? You know what the Romans did? They soaked their shields in water. They soaked their shields in water because they knew to get those flaming tips, you can't just light a wooden tip. They would dip the arrow tips in tar. And then they would light them on fire. So the goal was to get it in and stuck so that it would spread all over these you know, beautiful shields to catch them on fire. And then your whole legion goes up in flames. If they could set a shield on fire, you could destroy an entire unit because it would be chaos. Everyone would be focusing on putting out that fire. They would not hold their shields. So frontline soldiers would now be so distracted to put out the fire that it, they would become weak. They would become vulnerable. And so the Roman army came up with another tactic to fight this because that's what they do. And they would hold their shields overhead. They would have the front line hold them up, and then the back lines would bring them up over so that now they created a shell. They created this turtle shell, so when the flaming arrows came over, guess what happens now? They can't hit the ranks behind. A Roman commander would yell, testudo, Latin, or turtle, porous. Real original, right? It's like, you yelled turtle? Yeah, you're about to get wrecked by an army. Turtle up, turtle power, right? And so here they go. And this would give protection to not just the people in the front, but the people in the back. It was their defense against the flaming arrows of the evil one. So catch this. The enemy sent the flaming arrows to distract them more than just to kill them. It was to make them turn their attention away from their main priority, which is moving that unit forward. And this is huge for us today because I believe when the enemy sends flaming arrows at us into your life and into mine, it is not necessarily to kill you. He's trying to distract you. He wants you to be so busy putting out fires in your home, in your family, at work, with your kids, at school, in relationships, that you don't have the time to think about advancing with your faith, you can't think about taking ground because you're too busy trying to put out fires. This is why we need to take up our personal shield of faith. You cannot hide behind someone else's shield. It's big enough for one and you cannot hide behind it. You can't pick up someone else's shield. It's theirs. You have been given a shield of faith. And you are called to pick it up. But this is highly personal. And at the same time, it is unbelievably completely corporate. How I wield my shield of faith impacts the people around me. Because I'm not just protecting me, am I? I'm in this battle with and for you. Which is why you need to pick up your shield because you're in this with me and... 
My question for you is how, how do you wield your shield of faith? How do you wield your shield of faith? Because this will have an unbelievably huge impact on your soul. If you can't hold this in front of you, you are in trouble with the enemy's fiery darts that come all around. And, and I know as we've been going through this armor of God stuff that some things have been coming up for many of you to go, what do I do with this? And I, I need to, you keep mentioning the soul, Jimmy, and what is this stuff? Listen, as a, um, a handful of people are going to be heading to this uh, a soul care conference together in December. And uh, a friend of ours, Dr. Rob Reamer, is leading this December 9th, 10th, and 11th. And it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You would have to take off work to go to dive into this stuff. If you're interested in doing that, please um, let us know. There's, like I said, a handful of us that are going to this. I would highly encourage you. If you feel like something's stirring, this is a, a good idea for you to go to. And if you're joining us online, we would love for you to join us as well if you're local. Please, this is I'm going to be great. And you could just email us if you have questions about it at prayer at crossbridgecc.org. But this is so important for us to take up our shield, to deal with our stuff. And Paul knew the importance of this too, because um, here's what's great. If you have your Bibles with you, I, I would love for you from Ephesians chapter 6 where we are to jump back with me into Acts chapter 19. And in Acts chapter 19, we have this amazing account of what happens if you try to pick up someone else's faith. I just think this is fascinating to me. What happens if you pick up someone else's faith? And what I love about the passage that we're about to look at is it takes place about eight years before Paul's writing from Rome to this church in Ephesus. It's eight years before that in the city of Ephesus, the city that he's writing to. So when Paul is writing this letter, I think he has this story in mind of what it means to pick up our own faith. So let's pick up uh, Acts chapter 19. We'll jump to verse 8. It says this. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul shows up to teach about Jesus, and he starts in the synagogue like he normally does for this Jewish nation to call them back to God. And so they're not so happy, so they start throwing some shade at this little uh, collection of Jewish people following, it's almost like their own little denomination called the Way. Okay, the Way is what followers of Christ were called before they were called Christians, because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So they were followers of the way. How cool is that? I mean, if someone's like, what do you believe? Oh, I'm part of the way. I know it sounds cultish, but it's also really cool, um, right? After being rejected at the synagogue, what Paul does is he turns his attention. It says, so Paul left the synagogue, and he took the believers with him, and then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul goes to the place that everyone goes to, the Hall of Tyrannus, which is not like a place where you can go see a giant dinosaur. This is where you would go to like, have little classes. You would talk philosophy. You would talk life with people. And it was a collective that was great. So Paul leaves it, and over the next two years, he goes to this hall to talk Jesus all the time. And most scholars, most theologians agree that, that over the next two years, he probably got the opportunity to talk about Jesus with about two million people. 
two million people in this city. He didn't just sit and teach them, though. His faith wasn't just intellectual. His faith was active. Check this out. Verse 10. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. There is power behind Paul's faith. Do you see this? Paul could have said whatever he wants about Jesus in that hall. People came talking about all sorts of things. He could have said whatever he want, and it probably would have been just wrapped in with everything. But because there was action behind his faith, this began to draw everyone's attention. He wasn't taking money. He wasn't showing off. He was just a man, a tent maker, living out an active faith in Jesus. And so when his story got around, People start taking notice of Paul, of what this means. And, it, oh, check out what happens. It's about to get really real, so it's, I love this. It's kind of crazy, but we're, we're, we're trying to highlight why do we need to pick up our own faith? You can't take someone else's. Verse 13, a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches... To come out. They're using the name of Jesus like they heard the disciples doing, like they've heard Paul doing, but they have no relationship with Jesus, do they? None. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, there's no relationship. So, what happens when you try to use the name of Jesus to walk in faith that's not your own? Well, Seven sons of Sceva, it continues, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. How crazy is this? How many of you is the first time you've ever heard this story? Okay, awesome. Uh, this is crazy. I, I absolutely love and shake at this story. When Paul writes about our battle not being against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities and the rulers of this dark world, there is no doubt in my mind when he writes that in Ephesians that he's thinking of what just happened in Ephesus with the seven sons of Sceva. We got a 7v1 battle here, okay? And it's a physical battle. If it was solely a physical battle and you were a betting person, who would you bet on, the seven sons of Sceva or one man? We're all betting on the seven. That's an easy bet. But that's not what our battle is against, is it? Instead, what we have here is these seven brothers show up. And it says that they're the sons of Sceva. Sceva was... The a priest in the synagogue, the very place that Paul was kicked out of after three months because they don't want to deal with his teaching. Now people from that camp are seeing the authority. They're seeing the power. They're seeing something different, an active faith, and they're saying, well, that I want that, the power that comes with it, but I don't want to compromise what I believe, so I'll just lean into, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, so I don't have to have the faith, but I can have the power. I don't need the relationship but I can have the authority. And this demon is no dummy. 
I know Jesus. And we know from James that he trembles at God. And I know about Paul because there's a power of God through him that terrifies me. But you? What scarier words could there be? But who are you? Because you're not attached to Jesus. They're defenseless. They have no authority. And at this point, one possessed man is all you need to beat the living junk out of seven guys to where they are so beaten they run out of the house naked. I don't know how this beating started with one or two and the rest didn't just run or if this man was just that powerful, but please hear me, you cannot hide behind someone else's faith. You cannot hide behind someone else's faith. Not your parents, not your kids, not your spouse, not your pastors, not your small group leaders. You cannot hide behind someone else's faith. And when we come to the everyday spiritual battles that we face, we don't get to say, in the name of Jesus, who one of my family members really pursues, in the name of Jesus, you know, that's who my church talks about all the time. We don't get to say this because this isn't faith in Jesus. That's a butt whooping waiting to happen. That's what that is. We're waiting to get wrecked because we step out in faith and a power and authority that we don't have. We have none of this armor, but we think we're going in completely, completely covered. And I think too many Christians today, they are limping and they are laying around defeated, distracted because they have never picked up their own shield of faith. They just cower behind everyone else's shields that they're trying to hold as best that they can in a difficult world and then they have the audacity to complain about the lack of defense around them and it's just not fair the world around me i hope that you hear my heart on this because i think that we have a lot of christians who look more like the seven sons of skiba in this passage than they do paul beaten battered and running around screaming about an unfair life and the enemy is doing nothing but shooting firing arrows into flailing arms and legs. Uh, I'm not saying that there can't be seasons where we have trouble in our holding up our shield of faith. I, I'm not saying that all. I know there are seasons when it gets hard to have faith. I know them intimately and far too well. Even in the last six months, in my own life, between Eileen and I, we, we had a season where holding up our shield was very hard. It was very hard. We knew, um, we knew there was something that God was calling us to do, and it was going to take a leap of faith. Um, we knew that it was going to take lifting these shields together and saying for the benefit of what we feel like God is calling us to we need to do this but there was so much fear and anxiety attached to it I mean almost crippling if I'm being honest with you and um, I think it was around May Eileen had mentioned she wants to switch jobs and I was like oh like work for a different hospital or practice and she's like no I want to be done nursing okay what do you want to do I want to be a barista. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I like coffee. That'll save money just at Starbucks. <laughs> but the reality was, is I'm a, I'm a planner. I'm a control person. I like things calculated. And so I knew um, 
I knew baristas don't make what nurses make, especially in a pandemic. I knew, I knew that she would be making about a third of what she made and probably working more. And my faith was very weak. I, I, I remember telling all my guys on Wednesday, and I say my guys because this is, these are the guys who hold my shield. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm being strong at home and I'm encouraging Eileen to do this because I know this is what God's calling us to do, but I need to tell you, I am freaking out on the inside. I am freaking out about provision. I am freaking out about payments. I'm freaking out about what this looks like and how long maybe if she works, she doesn't work. I don't know what this means or what's. And you know what these guys did? As the enemy is firing arrows to distract me, as the enemy is firing flaming darts all around me and I'm having trouble, I'm so grateful I can say to these guys, guys, my shield feels heavier than I can carry right now. And they reminded me of why it's worth carrying. They reminded me of the very promises of God and asked me the question, have you seen God provide before? Has he truly been Jireh for you? Every season of my life he has been. You can have faith and step into this, Jimmy. It doesn't have to make sense to the world. It doesn't have to make sense to everybody. But if you and Eileen are feeling this, you have to do this. And in that moment, I am telling you, it was like turtle power, right? It was turtle power. I had shields around me that when in that season it was hard, I had their faith to hold me up, but I didn't have to hide behind their faith. They reminded me how to carry mine. But I think there's too many of us who have never picked up the shield of our own. We have never picked it up. And right now, I think there's too many who are living in the shadows of spouses. You're living in the shadow of your kids, of your parents. You're living in the shadow of Crossbridge. Just coming to church. I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But please hear me if you're online with us, if you're in person with us. This is about celebrating Jesus, just like Pastor Will said, for an audience of one, to do this together. This isn't a box to be checked to say, good, I showed up. Even the demons show up. Great, good for you. This isn't enough. It's time for us to move forward. It's time for us to be active. And, and maybe right now, if you're here today and, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I am. There's smoke and mirrors all around me. The arrows that I, I'm spending more time putting out fires than I am in moving forward. Have you even picked up your shield? Have you placed your trust in Jesus today? To truly say, I, I'm... I don't have to have all the answers here, but I know I need you and what you're doing. I know that I cannot live in this world on my own. I need your authority, your power, your forgiveness. Have you placed your trust in him to pick up your own faith? If you're here with us, I, I just want to, before I close out, just pray for us. Um, pray for us if you're in that place. 
pick up your own shield of faith and place your trust in Jesus to pick this up for you. Not hide behind someone else. So if this is where you are, would you just pray with me? Jesus, I am tired. And I feel hot from flames around me from arrows. Would you help me to pick up my shield of faith? I admit that I am a sinner. And I desperately need you to lead my life. Holy Spirit, would you fill me with the power to hold this shield of faith, to use it actively to move forward so that I might love those around me better and look more like you. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for rising from the dead. Love you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today, would you do me a favor and just, um, would you just let someone know around you that you prayed this prayer? And, and if you're with us online, send an email to prayer at crossbridgecc.org so that we can walk with you through that journey. And if you're here today and, and maybe you have picked up your shield, but you felt that season like I have and, and it feels like you're dragging your shield more than carrying your shield actively, and, and maybe over the last couple of weeks, you've been feeling this nudge, this urge to move forward in certain ways. And you're like, man, maybe, maybe that conviction that comes from like, I, maybe our schedule isn't the best the way it is and things could be changed. Or maybe the way that we're handling our finances, uh, I'm just feeling this pressure to move or the, our, uh, the, our timing and how we do these things. And maybe it's a job change thing like we were having. And over the last couple of weeks, you're like, God, would you give me a sign? Can I tell you something? This is your sign. This is it, right? This is your sign. What is God calling you to do? You cannot leave here today and think, well, that was nice. Even the demons believe it's nice. You and I have to do something with our faith or it is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy because faith without action, according to James, is what? It's dead so grateful for the resurrection of Jesus for dead faith because he can do this. You know, Captain America's shield to close out, it's iconic, isn't it? When it's finally removed from John Walker's bloody little grip, Falcon has a choice to make in picking it up and a couple episodes earlier, Zemo, this amazing character, one of the best in that series, um, they're having a conversation about the super serum that makes a super soldier and they mentioned how that serum takes the best and makes it better, but the worst and makes it the worst. And I'm sure that as Falcon is looking at this shield in the end, he's thinking of Zemo's words when they said, it always corrupts anyone who takes it. And Z Zemo says it corrupts everybody. And both Falcon and Winter Soldier say, not Steve Rogers. And then Zemo says, but there's never been another Steve Rogers. He was right. And if the Falcon, to close this out, were trying to take up a shield that wasn't his, honestly, he'd only disappoint everyone around him, just like John Walker did. But this shield was passed in faith by Steve to someone who could make it their own, who could pick it up. It didn't have to be done the same way. And the new character 
the new Captain America does not have to mimic the old one, does he? The shield looks the same. How it's lived out and used, it's all his own. How are you walking out in your faith this week? How are you actively using your shield that God has given you? Stop hiding behind someone else's and step into yours. Amen? Would you pray with me this morning as Alan comes up to lead us in communion? Jesus, I am so grateful that your shield, that you have given us a faith that you tell us, that that you bring resurrection from death, and I'm so thankful for those seasons where my faith has felt dead, that you have brought life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you've not called me to advance alone, but with people. God, thank you for protecting us, but thank you for not allowing us to stay, but to always be taking a step. And when done in community, it's always so much easier. So God, I pray for a blessing of endurance and courage over Crossbridge now, that you would give them the courage to fight the lies of the enemy that may even be firing now to say, good, you could check it off, go watch you know, TV later, it's fine. You don't need to do anything with that, but Holy Spirit, would you inspire us to do something to live out our faith that we would actually have to step out and do something that would demonstrate the love of Jesus to those around us? Would we be a church who never stays, but slowly, one step at a time, in faith, does what you want us to do. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.